you this morning. And let me just say real quickly here, there is no way I will finish this message or get remotely close to it today. We're just going to begin. And for those who have been here for a while, you know that it hasn't been a long, long time ago that I talked a little bit from Matthew 24. But as a pastor, uh, one of the things that that I am charged to do not only is to teach and to to bring nourishment to the flock and to care for the flock, but to guard the flock. Uh, it would be impossible not to be aware of the many, 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 many predictions that are going on. The if you're ever on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, in, internet at all, if you watch television, uh, there is an end times. I can't, and I don't say this disrespectfully, it's the only word I can think of to describe what's going on. There is an end times frenzy that is taking place right now. Every teacher under the sun is teaching on it. Many that are respected and known and many that are out fly by night uh, out of nowhere that aren't teachers at all. The thing about the internet is you don't have to have any type of backing or any type of credibility. You can just put something out on the internet put some videos together that you got together with some clips and 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 if people watch it and get the hits then then a lot of things can happen so i feel responsible as a pastor to talk to you about what the bible says about the end times to the new testament church and that's what we're going to be talking about today the end times according to jesus the end times according to the scriptures that we find in the New Testament, what God says to us about the end times. So I'm going to begin today. I know I won't finish today. Uh, so if you want to hear the entirety of this, you'll need to come back tonight uh, or at least get the CD. Uh, I prefer you come back by all means. But, uh, but I want you to come back. I want to read this to you real quick as we get started. America struggles to get back on its feet after pulling its troops home from a long and divisive war. A sputtering economy keeps unemployment above acceptable levels. Prices for food and fuel rise exponentially, putting greater strain on the already stretched family budgets. A dysfunctional relationship between the president and Congress threatens the United States' ability to move forward in anything. U.S. hostages are being threatened by Islamic radicals in the Middle East, and a belligerent Russia takes full advantage of the situation to invade one of her neighbors. You would think that that was the newspaper headlines from today. That was actually from the late 1970s when we were in the middle of a financial crisis. We were it had just pulled our troops home from a long war. Uh, American hostages were held in Iran. And the world seemed to be falling apart at its seams. At that time, I was a young boy who had a real strong relationship with the Lord and had a real desire to know what God was doing. And, and how many of you remember the days, and you're going to date yourself a little bit because this is before the internet and technology, so don't worry about dating yourself because I'm right there with you. How many of you remember the days when you would have end times prophecy conferences at the church for a week? And in order to explain what was going on, they would place a long white board that spanned the whole length of the of the of the the stage area with crude drawings from artists that probably aren't 
really defined as artists with timelines to try to tell you when something was happening and what was going on. And you would come to church every night for a week and find out who the Antichrist probably was and where he was probably going to come from and what was going to happen before he came and when the rapture was going to take place. And, and all. how many of you remember those days? I remember those days. Remember them very, very well. Loved every minute of it. I'm not knocking any of that. Don't get me wrong. Loved it. Uh, I remember specifically in the late 1970s, early 1980s, going to church in Union City, Tennessee. See, my family, it wasn't enough for my family to go to church on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night where we went to church. We had to find where other people were having revivals all week long and go to church there every night too. So we went all week to, to this church in Tennessee, and they had one of those ministers there, and he had one of those boards. And, and at that time, he was lining up out of, I believe it's Ezekiel 38, a group of nations that would be coming in to invade Israel in the last times. And, and his main focus at that time was on a new dictator that was taking control in a country called Libya. His name was Qaddafi. Anybody remember Muammar Qaddafi and Libya? And how, what great a threat was there at that time. It was in the, uh, just coming out of the Jimmy Carter administration. And uh, he, was, he was lining up all kinds of things. Of course, we were in the middle of still communism held sway. And, and, and he was talking about Russia and he put all those nations together. Oh, and by the way, I agreed with that and still do, so don't get that wrong either. Uh, now that same teaching is coming forth and I still agree with it. It's just not anything new to me. It's something that I heard all the way back in 1979 when I was a little boy uh, by, by a prophecy teacher who no one even knows his name and probably isn't living anymore uh, in Union City, Tennessee. And uh, what I want to say is this. Here are just a, just a cursory view on the internet that you can get. It's by no means an exhaustive list. From the earliest days until now, this is a list of end times prophecies of when the world's going to end and when the church is going to leave here. Now, those are the ones I'm not going to talk about because these are from people who are not Christians that I would consider cultic, and I'm not interested in what they have to say. So let's just throw those down. See how many pages those are, and that's not even an exhaustive list. This is the list... <laughs> of the people who I consider to be reputable Christians who I respect, who through the years have given their timelines for when they feel like this is the end of the world and the return of the Lord. And first of all, before I even start, let me say that everybody thought that the end of the world and the return of the Lord was taking place when World War I took place. Do you know why? Because nation was rising against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there was wars and rumors of wars throughout the earth. And everybody thought because World War I was taking place that the end was near. And there were all kinds of legitimate and illegitimate prophecies and prophets and preachers saying this is it. When World War II took place, it was even more considered a surety that this is it. Because not only did we have nations and kingdoms and wars and rumors of wars, we had a mad dictator who was trying to take over the world and hated and wanted to exterminate Jews and anyone else who stood in his path. So people, and I could, I could understand that probably more than any of the prophecies I've ever heard to this day, as people thinking, this is it. There were legitimate and illegitimate, respectable and non-respectable people proclaiming, this is it. I was in Gatlinburg, Tennessee with my family and my in-laws on December the 31st, 1999. 
We were all enjoying a week after Christmas in the Smoky Mountains. But I have to admit, in the back of my mind, there was just a little bit of hesitancy about what we would face when we came home because we were going to have a New Year's Eve watch night service on the dawn of Y2K. How many remember the Y2K bug? All of the things that were going to happen as we turned the calendar year 2000. Computers were not going to work anymore. All of the electricity was going to go down. Everything was going to fall apart. This had to be the end. Now, they were not just illegitimate people out proclaiming that. I remember Christian television as Y2K came in with legitimate teachers who I heavily respect to this day basically announcing this was it. And yet here we are. I remember sitting with my parents, with other pastors, in the late 1970s at Dairy Queen in Fulton, Kentucky, hearing about a huge machine that we know now was just a great big computer. But back then, computer technology was not as well known. It was a huge machine that had the ability of forecasting a number for every human being on the face of the planet. And I remember hearing the ministers around the table and many others in end times prophecy saying, this is it. It's the mark of the beast. I look back in history and when the social security system came out. And so, so how many of you have a social security number? Back in that day, that was the mark of the beast. And there were many people talking about that, both legitimate and illegitimate, respectful and non-respectful people that I feel we're saying this is it. I could go on and on and on, but let me just share a couple of things. In 1981, Chuck Smith, who I highly respect, he's dead now, but I, he was the founder of Calvary Chapel and all of the Calvary Chapels, predicted that because Israel became a nation in 1948, that would be the last generation, so therefore the world would end by 1981. Now, Smith said he could be wrong about this, but he continued to say he had a deep conviction in his heart and all of his plans are predicated upon that one belief. Obviously, that didn't happen. Chuck Smith, by the way, was a great man of God. I still highly respect him. Pat Robertson, the founder of Christian Broadcasting Network, ran for president at one point in time, who I respected then and still respect to this day. In 1982, he said in late 1976, he predicted that the end of the world would come in 1982. Lester Sumrall, who was one of the greatest charismatic, pioneer, Pentecostal men of God who I highly respect to this day. He's gone on to be with the Lord now. Highly respect him. Great man of God. 1985, predicted the end to be in 1985 in a book entitled, I Predict 1985. You'll remember this one. Although you don't know his name, we all knew about his prophecy. In 1988, an unknown preacher at that time to most people by the name of Edgar C. Wisenant predicted in a book called 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Could Be in 1988 that sometime between the 11th and the 13th of September in 1988, the rapture would take place. When that didn't happen, he revised his prediction to October 3rd of 1988. When that didn't happen, he changed his prediction to a later date that the Lord would come. In 1994, a fairly unknown Christian pastor named Harold Camping predicted that the rapture would occur on September 6th 1994. When it failed to occur, he revised the date to September 29th. When it failed to occur then, he revised the date to October 2nd. And then, after his fourth predicted date would end, Camping changed his prediction and put it out a few years until 2011. 
In 2000, because of the various predictions of the Y2K bug, there were all kinds of ministers, pastors, evangelists claiming that there would be worldwide catastrophes and that the Lord would come, including in that group was Jerry Falwell, who was a man who I respect greatly, still respect. He's gone on to be with the Lord. He predicted that God would be pouring out his judgment on the world on a certain day in 2000. How many of you remember not long after you kind of got interested in the Internet, there was also a prophecy that made the circulations that God was going to rid the world of evil all in one day, taking a misconstruence of Scripture in the Old Testament, saying this is when the world's going to end. God's going to wipe evil off the face of the earth in one day. Anybody remember that? I remember that very, very well. If you're a pastor, you would remember that. Tim LaHaye and Jerry B. Jenkins, who are great respected Christian authors, I respect them to this day. They wrote, of course, the, uh, the uh, End Times trilogy, Left Behind. Uh, they predicted in the, by the year 2000 as the date approached that the Antichrist would use the Y2K bug to rise to power. Sir Isaac Newton, who we all respect as the one who figured out that gravity was what it was, predicted that he was a Christian, by the way, predicted that Christ's millennium would begin in the year 2000. Uh, Jonathan Edwards, great revivalist preacher who every Christian should respect, he as an 18th century preacher predicted that Christ's thousand-year reign would begin in the year 2000. Again, Dr. Lester Sumrall, when 1985 did not come through, he predicted and wrote another book claiming, I predict 2000. He believed that it would take place in 2000. Pat Robertson at another time in a 1990 book, The New Millennium, suggests that the date of the Earth's destruction would take place April 29, 2007. Harold Camping again says that the world will end by October 21, 2011. When that didn't take place, he changed his date farther down in 2011. And various leaders from 2011 in the time of August to October in 2011, there were great fears that because of a comet that was going to come directly between the earth and the sun, great disturbances would take place in the earth's crust, which could cause the world, uh, a comet to collide with the earth in October 16th of 2011. That didn't happen. 2012, various leaders began to begin to base end times apocalyptic prophecies on the basis of such a great, reputable, biblical thing as the Mayan calendar. That because of the Mayan calendar that didn't go past 2012, that 2012 would be the end of the earth. And now, John Hagee, Mark Blitz, Jonathan Kahn, and many others are stating that sometime between now, the end of September, and early October, most likely, we are going to see apocalyptic and cataclysmic events that will lead to the end of the world and the return of the Lord. Now, lest you think that I am doing that to disrespect any of those men, I only use the names of the people that I do, at least to some level, respect. Those are people who I believe are men of God, not false prophets or teachers. Those are people who I believe love God with all their hearts. Do I believe that they're wrong? I don't know. You know why? Because it's not October yet. Now, as I say that, there will be people in the world, in the Christian world, who would be angry at me for making that a laughing matter, to which I say, when did the joy of the Lord that is our strength go away, and when did the Lord tell us to be fearful or to be angry. My job today and my desire to preach this is not to tell you to discount any of that. 
My desire today is to tell you to understand that there have been predictions of the Lord's return and the end of the world almost ever since the day that Jesus ascended into heaven and poured out the Holy Spirit upon the earth. And by the way, for well, you don't believe we're in the last days? Oh, yes, I do. But I believe we've been in the last days since the day of Pentecost. Do you know why? Because the Apostle Peter, who I absolutely know was 100% accurate, in the Bible, which I absolutely believe is always 100% accurate, said that God said this would happen when the last days begin. So the last days didn't start at any point in our recent history. The last days began, according to the Bible, when the Holy Spirit was poured out and a new age began in the world called the Age of Grace or the New Testament Church Age. The New Testament church age is the last age that the planet earth will see before the judgment of God is poured out upon the world and what we know as the wrath of God begins to take place. How long the New Testament church age of grace lasts until that time comes, I'm going to make a bold statement that some of you will like and some of you won't, but I dare you to show me in the scripture where it's not the truth. No man knows the day or the hour or the week, probably not the month, and I doubt even the year when the end's going to come and the rapture of the church is going to take place. Now, why are you talking about that? Because here's the problem. Peter said that in the last days, scoffers will arise, saying, where is the promise of his coming? For we've heard of this Basically, to paraphrase, all our lives. If you really wanted to do an exhaustive search, you would find that there are multiplied thousands of prophecies that have took place. And almost everything that you can imagine that is a precursor that people use for what will bring the end has been used before. The only reason it's new to us is because we weren't alive when most of it was used before. And the reason I'm bringing this out is not to say, oh, well, the Lord's not coming soon. The reason I'm bringing it out is to say, the Lord could come before, the rapture of the church could take place before I finish the next word out of my mouth. So there's, don't you wait until September the 15th or September the 23rd or October the 5th. Don't wait for that because the rapture could take place before we leave this room today. That's the problem with date setting. And don't sit back and say, well, if it's not going to happen because you can't set a date, I may have 20 years. Oh, no, you may not. And then again, you may have 100. We don't know when it's going to take place. And here's the good news. It doesn't matter. Now, what I want to do is show you what the Bible says about the end. And I want to use primarily the words of Jesus. Because although I respect all of the men of God, well, there's a couple of them out there that I didn't know. You probably didn't know either. But all the ones that you knew, I respected. That's why I use their names. But I don't respect them like I respect Jesus. I want to use the words of Jesus. And I want to see what Jesus said about the end. And I want to begin in Matthew chapter 23. And before I do that, let me just share a couple of things because I don't want to just make the assumption that all of us are on the same page when it comes to what we're talking about to begin with. The church basically believes 
this. And I'm talking about the Christian church. Doesn't matter if you're Baptist or Methodist or Presbyterian or Charismatic. We all basically believe this. When we talk about the end times, we believe that this world as it is is not going to last forever. We believe that it has an expiration date. We just don't believe that any man or woman or child on the planet knows what that expiration date is. We believe that before this world is destroyed, and it one day will be destroyed because the Bible says it's going to melt away with a fervent heat. So one day every single thing that you can touch and feel and hear and taste is going to melt with a fervent heat. But before that day happens, we as Christians believe that Jesus is going to come and take his true believers, those who know Christ, out of this earth in a moment, just like that, what the Bible calls the twinkling of an eye. We call that the rapture. Now, just in case you don't know that or haven't heard that term, if somebody ever tells you, well, the word rapture really isn't even in the Bible, don't argue with them because they're right. The word rapture is not in the Bible. But the meaning of the word rapture is a sudden catching away. And that concept, that principle is in the Bible. And we're going to talk about that in a little while. We believe, now Christians can, some of them believe three different things. They all believe, every Christian believes in the rapture. The sudden catching away of Christians to be with Jesus forever. However, Christians believe it could happen at three different segments of time. Many Christians, probably most that I know, believe in what we call the pre-tribulation rapture. We'll talk about the tribulation in a minute. Many Christians believe in a pre-tribulation rapture, meaning that tribulation being a seven-year period of time when the judgment of God is going to be poured out upon planet earth. And the earth is going to be under the reign of a man that the Bible calls the Antichrist, who is exactly opposite of who Jesus is, who rules the world with an iron fist and demands the worship of him and him only. Okay, We believe that there's going to be a system where you cannot buy or sell anything without taking the mark of this man. We don't know exactly what that mark will be. According to the Bible, it's something in the forehead or, or, or in, the, in the wrist or the palm somewhere. But it could be a, could it be a computer chip? I don't know. could be. Whatever it is, it means you're selling out. Whatever you do, you will be willfully selling out so that you can have what you want instead of swearing your allegiance to Jesus Christ alone. You'll know that you did it. By the way, nobody's going to take the mark accidentally. I promise you that. It's something that you're going to do knowing what you're doing. But at the end of the day, that's what we believe is going to be during the tribulation period of time. Now, Christians believe, and I'm going to get through this real quick and get to the Word. Christians believe that it could happen before the rapture, could take place before any of that tribulation happens. That's pre-trib. Now, if we're going to have a pre-trib rapture, and if you, well, where do you lean, Brother Lynn? That's where I lean, okay? However, if that's going to happen, it can happen any second. There is not one sign left to be fulfilled before a pre-tribulation rapture. So if those who believe in a pre-tribulation rapture are correct, it could happen in the next two seconds. It could happen any time because there are no signs left to take place for the rapture of the church, there is a very specific sign left to take place for the end of the world, but not for the rapture of the church, especially if it's pre-trib. Now, a lot of Christians believe because of a scripture in the book of Thessalonians that it could be a mid-trib rapture. And what I mean is that there's going to be a catching away of the church, the true believers instantly to be with the Lord, but it's going to happen after the first three and a half years of the tribulation period. So you're going to go through three and a half years of tough times but not the actual wrath of God, which is the last three and a half years, that somewhere in the middle, all of the church is going to be taken out suddenly and instantly. Could it happen? That's the one I lean the most away from. 
However, you can be a Christian and believe that. Could happen. Many Christians, not quite as many as believe in pre-trib, but many more believe in a post-tribulation rapture. And what they believe is we're going to be here for the whole thing. We're going to go through all of the, of, the, of the trouble and all of the wrath, although the wrath is not aimed at Christians. We're going to experience all of it. We will be persecuted. Many of us will be killed for the sake of the gospel. And then at the very end of that seven-year period, there's going to be a great catching away, the rapture, and then the second coming of the Lord. Many Christians believe that. Uh, for the most part, Brother Donner, he believed that. And I highly respected him, and he did far more Bible study into it than I ever dreamed of doing. I believe you can be a Christian and believe any of the three views. I'm a pan-tribber myself. That's not a biblical concept. I believe it's all going to pan out in the end. I like what Keith Green said, who was a great man of God. He said, I pray for pre, but I prepare for post. <laughs> I, I hope and I pray that the rapture of the church takes place and we get out of here in an instant before any of the tribulation period begins. But just in case I'm wrong, I'm going to prepare to be here for the whole thing. Now, here's where the thing comes. Well, how do I prepare? Do I get these end-time survival kits? Do I need to get MREs? Do I need to, you know, do I need to go get a bunker built into the ground? Do I need to get 5,000 gallons of water? Do I need, what, what do I need to do? Hey, I'm not against any of that. Prepare, prepare, prepare. I'm, now, not because of this, but because we can have ice storms. And we do actually sit on a fault line. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so there's a lot of reasons to be prepared for some event in the future. There's nothing wrong with being prepared. But the main thing that we need to understand is that we're not supposed to be afraid. 365 times in the Bible we are told, do not be afraid. Now, in the end times, the Bible says as we get closer to it, men's hearts will actually fail them for fear of what's coming on the earth. Things are going to get so bad in the world, there are going to literally be people having heart attacks because of anxiety about what's coming. But that's not for Christians. That's for people without Christ. For Christians, we have a reason to have hope and to believe. Because, see, after the rapture of the church, whenever it comes, we're going to see the sign of Jesus coming in the clouds. And if we've already gone or if we died beforehand, we're coming back with him in a glorified body. And for those who are here, we're going to be raptured up and immediately receive a glorified body. And then we're going to come back with Jesus. The Battle of Armageddon, what would be the end of the Battle of Armageddon? How many of you heard about Armageddon? That's when all the nations of the world, for the most part, come together and battle each other in the Valley of Megiddo. That is going to happen one day. I don't care who the president is and how many peach trees he signs or what the UN does. According to the Bible, one day there is going to be another worldwide war, and they're all coming to take Israel is what they're going to do. The only question is, where will the United States stand in that? Some prophecy teachers think we're going to be right in the middle of it on the wrong side. Many prophecy teachers think we're going to be standing on the sidelines, not doing anything, which where do you stand, Brother Lynn? That's probably where I think we'll be. Some think that we'll stand with Israel, but not militarily. Whatever the case may be, it's going to happen one day, and there's going to be a great slaughter there. Following that, it's going to come a thousand-year period. I'm just giving you some end times events in case you're hearing this for the first time. After that, the Bible reveals that there's going to be a thousand-year period of time where there is no war, where people live, and if they're a hundred years old, people think they're young. 
So sickness and disease is going to, to literally begin to waste away because Jesus himself will come as the Prince of Peace and rule from the actual city of Jerusalem. And those who are Christians who have either been raptured or have been raptured at the end and come back with him will rule and reign with him on this current earth. Not the new one yet. On this current earth, but under the exact direction of Jesus as the King of the world. That's going to happen. And for a thousand years, there will be peace. Men will beat their their swords into plowshares. Even the lion will lay down with the lamb, which is prophetic of not only something that happens in the animal kingdom, I believe, literally, but it's also prophetic of nations that will have peace with one another. But that's not the end yet. We're not in heaven yet. At the end of that thousand-year period of time, the Bible teaches that, see, during that time, the reason there's peace is because Satan is going to be bound, chained. He can't do anything for those thousand years. But he's not been cast into hell yet. At the end of the thousand years, he's going to be released because there's going to be people on the planet who are not saved at that time. They were either young. Everybody's not going to be killed in Armageddon. There are going to be people left on planet Earth. We're going to be ruling over them. They have to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And in order to do that, they have to choose. At the end of that thousand-year period of time, there's going to be a release of Satan. And the Bible says that even after Jesus has... This boggles my mind. Even after Jesus has reigned in complete peace on the earth for a thousand years, Satan will still go out and there will still be nations who will follow him. He'll deceive them. And they will once again gather together for battle, except now it's not just against Israel, it's against Jesus himself. I got good news for you. That battle ain't going nowhere. (laughs) Because all they're going to do is gather, and we're going to see who's on what side, and Jesus is going to say, that's it. Done. Over. And then at that point in time, everybody who's chosen to cast their allegiance not to Jesus but to the enemy, they're going to be cast forever into a burning pit of fire, and then Satan himself is going to be cast forever into a burning pit of fire, into hell itself, never to deceive the nations or cause pain or sorrow again. Then there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth that's going to descend from heaven, and everything will be as God originally designed it to be. There will be no sickness. There will be no death. There will be no sorrow. There will be no sin. There will be no night. There will only be the light of the Lamb that lights the city. You can read about it at the end of Revelation. It's going to be the most glorious thing you could ever imagine and that is my destiny. So that's why I'm not afraid today. Whatever happens, I can't control it. If September the 15th is the end of the world, I will not enjoy what may come. If we we get persecuted in America, I won't enjoy it, but I will get through it. If the stock market collapses and the economy fails and all the power grid goes down because of whatever somebody does, I will not enjoy it. I didn't enjoy the ice storm either. But I'm still here. We will get through it. Why? Because greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. It doesn't matter what the enemy may do, and it doesn't matter what. And and here's the thing. I'm not afraid because here's what the Bible tells me. When you see these things beginning to come to pass, don't look down. Look up, for your redemption draweth nigh. It is closer now than when we first believed. I look forward to going home. And since I look forward to going home, I may not like the activities that take place between now and then, but oh, I greatly anticipate the end result. However it comes, I'm going home. And that's why we're not afraid. So let's go to Matthew chapter 24, and let's read what Jesus says. 
about the end. Now you see why we're not going to get through this in one service. I haven't even started preaching yet. Matthew chapter 23, verse, I'm going to start in verse 37 because you need to get some context. For what the, there's a very important question that Jesus' disciples ask. And it's in three parts. And unless you see what happens before, you're not going to understand Jesus' answer. He says, and he's walking through the city of Jerusalem, he says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, verse 37 of chapter 23 of Matthew. The one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate, for I say to you, you shall see me no more till you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now he's referring there to his triumphal entry some days later when he comes into Jerusalem riding on the colt of a donkey and people cry out, the children cry out, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. He says, you're not going to see me again until then. But he said, Jerusalem, I would love to comfort you. I would love to restore you. I would love to be a blessing to you. But here I am, and you're not listening. You don't want what I have to offer. The Bible tells us that because Israel as a nation rejected Jesus Christ as the Messiah when he came, Gentiles, that's you and me, were grafted into the vine. We became a part of the family of God and members, full-fledged members of the household of faith for which we are forever grateful. That doesn't mean that God is done with Israel. Matter of fact, I posted this morning, if you have me on Facebook as a friend, in Psalm 122, it says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. For, for God will bless those who delight in Israel and in the land. That's why it's very important. It's not just a political issue about where America stands with Israel. This is not about liberal, conservative, Democrat, Republican. That's not what this is about. There is a fact scripturally that the Bible says, I will bless those who bless Israel and I will curse those who curse Israel. So regardless of what you think about politics or whatever in Israel, America has always been a staunch ally of Israel, and Israel has always been one of our staunchest allies. That's why it's so important we remain that way. Now, you don't have to agree with politics. You just have to understand this is the Bible. Well, I don't know about that. I don't agree with it. It doesn't matter. This is the Bible. God's covenant with Israel hasn't changed, and he'll still do what he says he's going to do. So it's important that we understand that. But God's also not finished with Israel yet. Even though Israel as a nation still as a whole does not, well, not even close, does not accept Jesus as the Messiah. matter of fact, in Israel, you basically in some extent, not physically so much so, but socially and in other ways, sometimes even financially, can experience a level of persecution if you do accept Jesus as your Savior. You can be outcast as a family, not even considered family anymore. You can lose your job. Those type of things can happen even in Israel. Okay, Now, they're not going to behead you and kill you like if you were in an Islamic country. There's still a democratic society, but there's still persecution that takes place there. They've not accepted Jesus. There are Jews who are saved. They're called Messianic Jews. And those Jews who are saved are out there aggressively proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ to other Jews, and they are being saved. And we pray for that to continue. But one day, during the end, the Bible says that God, again, once the time of the New Testament church is over, once the time of this grace New Testament covenant is over and we've stepped into the end times, God will again turn his attention solely upon the house of Israel. And 144,000 Jews are going to be born again and know Jesus and they're going to go forth to the Jews as evangelists with great signs and wonders. Plus there are going to be two prophets who stand supernaturally and teach. Many think it will be Moses and Elijah. Others think it will be Elijah and Enoch. Either way, it will be two Old Testament figures come 
come back in real life with power and great signs and wonders, proclaiming the gospel and doing miracles in Jerusalem in those last days. And because of that, many Jews at that time will be saved because they will have signed a treaty with the Antichrist thinking he's their Messiah. He will then break that treaty in the middle of the tribulation period and reveal who he truly is, and then they're going to recognize, as many of them as a whole, that it was Jesus all along. So God's not finished with the Jews yet. We need to understand that. But at this point, that's the context from Matthew chapter 24. He's talking about Jerusalem. So then chapter 24, verse 1, Jesus went out and departed from the temple. Now the temple was the center of life for the Jews. Everything in Israel centered around the temple. And of all things, they were more proud of the temple. It was kind of like the White House or the Capitol Building or, or the Washington Monu Monument, and even that is a pale description to what the temple was like to the Jews. It was a national identity for them, the temple. It had been destroyed before and rebuilt. So Jesus went out and departed from the temple. This is Herod's temple at this time. And his disciples came up to show him. I think that's kind of funny, as if he had never seen it before and didn't know what it was. Uh, I want to show you the buildings of this temple. Isn't it awesome? Isn't it beautiful? Isn't it glorious? We are so proud of this temple. This is where we find our strength. This is where we find our national identity. This is where we find our sense of belonging. This is where we find our sense of security. Look at this building. He's just been lamenting that Israel didn't recognize their Savior when he came. Jesus says to them, Do you not see all these things? What things? What are they talking about? The temple. Do you not see all these things? Truly I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. That is the equivalent of a prophet you could trust standing in any church in America and proclaiming today that every part of the White House, the Capitol building, the Pentagon would be completely destroyed to rubble tomorrow. And it was somebody who was reputable. How would you feel? You would know if that was going to happen that this nation was in great trouble. The disciples were blown away by this statement that Jesus made because that was their national identity that he says not even, this is a pretty amazing statement, not even one stone will be left upon another. Oh man, I dread when that happens. That has already happened. Happened in AD 70 when a Roman emperor came down and literally destroyed the temple. Took it down. Now that's long after this statement was made. So in that context, imagine the disciples being Jews. Their mind is, they can't think about anything else now. That, when is this going to happen? I, I, what are we going to do? As he sat down upon the Mount of Olives... The disciples came to him privately. Notice that everything that's about to be said is not said to a crowd. It's said specifically to his disciples only. No one else. His disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us three things here, not just one thing. Christians, we read this, we think he's just answering one question. He's answering three. When will these things be? What things? What, he, what was he just talking about? Now, I want you just to, you don't have to be an interpreter of the Bible or a theologian. What was he just talking about? The temple being destroyed and not one stone left upon another. When will these things 
be. He had been saying that one day Israel would be desolate. He said that in the last part of chapter 23. When will these things be? Right now they're talking about Israel. When is this going to happen? When will these things be? Question number one. Question number two. What will be the sign of your coming? Question number three. And notice there's a connector there. I was not an English major, but I do know that's a connector. And conjunction, junction. What Anyway, that's how I learned it. Schoolhouse rocks. Good for a lot of things. And the end of the age. By the way, some translations say world, but most reliable translations say age. And that's correct. He did not say the end of the world. They said the end of the age. Three questions. When will these things be? What? The stones being torn off another, the temple being destroyed, Israel being left desolate. When will this happen? Two, what's the sign of your coming, Jesus? Three, and the end of the age. Now, here is the end times gospel according to Jesus himself. Can't go wrong with this one. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. He explains these things. Verse 4, Jesus answers their question. First thing he says, (laughs) he does not talk about the economy collapsing first. He does not talk about blood moons. He does not talk about comets. He does not talk about asteroids. He does not talk about an antichrist. He does not, I'm not saying any of those things are not true. I'm saying the first thing he says to his disciples is, take heed that no one deceives you. Now what's important here is what I told you a while ago. This is not an address to the crowds. He's talking to his hand-picked disciples that he had prayed all night long over and given direct guidance from God as to who to pick. He's talking to them. He says, watch out. Take heed means watch out. Be alert. Take heed that no one deceives you. For not just a few, but many will come, not in their name. Look at this. This is important. They will come in my name. Saying, I am the Christ. Christ can mean anointed one. And will deceive, not just a few, many. When we start talking about the end of the age and the sign of the Lord's return, now he's going to talk about all the other stuff. We're going to see it. But the first most important thing on the mind of Jesus is that his very own hand-picked Disciples who had spent all the three and a half years almost with him, seeing miracle after miracle, knowing his teaching, he says, you need to be careful that nobody deceives you. For many will come in my name. Now, here's the way we think this plays out. We think this plays out as a false Messiah, and there's many of those. Comes in and says, I'm Jesus. I'm Jesus. Follow me. Now, there have been those. And there still are those. But that's not what Jesus said. He said, many will come in my name. Every preacher I've ever met on planet earth comes in his name. Every prophet comes in his name. Every author comes in his name. Every missionary comes in his name. Every apostle comes in his name. Every evangelist comes in his name. He said, many will come in my name. And they're going to say, hey, I'm the one. 
I got the revelation. I've got the anointing. I'm the one. I'm the Christ. I'm the anointed one. See, we think about that, and we think it just literally means they're going to come saying, I'm Jesus. And there will be those, and there have been those, and there will continue to be those. But here's the thing. Who is he talking to? Again, who is it? Okay, I understand that somebody out in the world that doesn't know Jesus, if somebody shows up and says, hey, I'm Jesus, and they do a few things to prove that they're kind of different, there might be some people who follow him. But for most legitimate Christians who serve God, one of the biggest indicators that we are in bad places is when somebody comes and says, hey, I'm Jesus. What's your first reaction if somebody shows up and says, I'm Jesus? You're going to mark them off. This guy's a nut. This lady's crazy. (laughs) Watch them. Stay away from them. However, if somebody comes up and says, I have the anointing. I'm the one that God's chosen for this hour and this time. I'm the anointed one. I've got the message. I've got the revelation. I'm coming in the name of Jesus, and I've got the revelation. Thus saith the Lord. Now that's different. And that may be important for even his very own hand-picked disciples to take heed. And is that not what Jesus said? Take heed that no one deceive you, for many are going to come in my name, and they're going to proclaim that I'm the Christ, and they're going to deceive many. Then, he says, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. Now, I love his next word because it's so opposite of what we do. We hear of wars and rumors. Oh, man. Jesus has got to come. He's got to come. He's got to come. Why? Look at all the wars and rumors of wars. Look at it. Jesus said, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. And then the very next thing he says, see that you are not troubled because all of these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. Oh, it's coming, it's coming. We got all these wars. Jesus said, no, 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 no. You're going to hear of wars, rumors of wars. Don't be afraid. Don't be troubled. Don't get alarmed. Otherwise, he's saying, don't even get nervous. Don't worry about it. These things have to happen. They have to happen. So by saying they have to happen, they must come, you know what that tells me? That tells me I don't care how many treaties we sign. There's going to be wars and there's going to be rumors of wars. There is no man sitting in any office in any country in the nation that is smart enough to outsmart God. And there's going to be wars and there's going to be rumors of wars. Period. It's going to happen. I'm not saying it's wrong to try. I'm just saying it's futile to think that you're going to solve and be the person. There is only one prince of peace. His name is Jesus. And he's the only one that's going to bring peace to this earth. So these things must come. But the end is not yet. Four. Now notice he's continuing his thought. He's in the same thought process. He's continuing his thought. The end's not yet. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines. Look at all the famines. Who? this must be the end. No, he said the end is not yet. There will be famines, pestilences. There's going to be epidemics and all kinds of sicknesses and diseases and things we've not seen before. Earthquakes in various places. That means in places that they may not be expected. There's going to be all kinds of earthquakes. Notice verse, <clears throat> notice verse 8. I, you've got to see this. Christians, we've got to get this. Because there's going to be scoffers in the last days no matter what we do. And they're going to say, well, where's the promise of his coming? We can't do anything about that. But you know what makes it worse? If when every time there's something new that comes along, when we get up and we say, this is it, this is it, this is it. And then 10 days after the last date that was given, we're all still sitting here. 
then the world looks at us and says, why should I listen to anything you say? You said this in 2000. You said this in 1988. You said this in 1994. You said this in 1997. You're saying this in 2015. We're going to say it again because something's going to come together in 2017. It'll happen again in 2020 if we're still here. I'm not saying it can't happen in September. For those of you who desperately want it to happen in September, so do I. Glory to God. Let's do rapture practice. I'm ready. I am so ready. But if we're still sitting here in November, because you see, when it don't happen in September, some of them are going to say, we missed it by a little bit. It'll be October the 23rd. So November's probably safe. When we're still sitting here in November, I would rather be the person who was just telling people Jesus is the best thing going. You need to know him because he'll change your life. One day he's coming. I don't know when he's coming. The world's not going to get any better. But if we live till we're 110 or if we go tomorrow, I don't have to be afraid. I would love for you to know this Jesus. I want to be that person. I don't want to be the person who is just always saying, it's here, it's here, it's here, it's here. Why? Because Jesus said that's exactly what he did not want us to do. But look at all this stuff happening. Look what Jesus, but brother, brother so-and-so said, bless their heart, I respect them. But we're not looking at what brother so-and-so said right now. We're looking at what Jesus said. Jesus said all of these are the beginning, not the end of sorrows. That word sorrows literally means travail, labor pains. Any woman in here that's had a child knows exactly. Dads who've been with them in the labor room. I was saying the other day, my wife had both of our children with, a, with, with surgical means. Am I in trouble? I got to tell this story. The only one that she had any real type of labor with was Catherine. And I'd heard these horror stories. And I really kind of thought, not my wife. And they were going to do, we had it scheduled, you know. But before they could get to it, labor began. It wasn't major, major labor, I guess. It was just starting. And we got up real early. We were at the hospital, and I was with her. And I hadn't had my coffee yet. <laughs> and I was tired, and... I was yawning. If you don't know me, I yawn a lot anyway. And I was yawning, and Tammy was hurting. And she said, if you are that tired, go get you a cup of coffee. <laughs> now, I'm not 100% sure, but I think that's very close to the exact way it came out. And I got up and started to walk out of the room, and another contraction hit. said, what do you think going to get you a cup of coffee right now? Come back in here. Now, we had had false labor. She had had, not we. Did not say that. Did not say that. She had had false labor before. We had even gone to the hospital, you know, thinking we were going to have the kids. It didn't quite happen, you know. But, boy, when it starts coming, those contractions that you may have for a week or two weeks or whatever, they just start getting more frequent, and they start getting more intense. 
That's what Jesus said would happen. That's why I need to tell the story, honey. Oh, boy. Anyway, no, I've got a wonderful wife. She's glorious. She loves me. And I love you too, baby. <laughs> Here's the thing. Jesus said all these things have always happened. These things are going to continue to happen. This is not the end. This is the beginning of labor. But now if it's labor, here's what we know about labor. Earthquakes, famines, pestilences, deceivers, wars and rumors of wars, world wars where nations and kingdoms actually rise up against each other. If this is labor, then what's going to happen is we're going to see more and more and more of it in greater and greater frequency, and when they come, they will be more and more intense because that's labor. He didn't say the end is here. He didn't say I'm coming. He just says this is the beginning of labor. Now, here, here's a, and I'm not going to go too much longer. I didn't even get as far as I wanted to today, but, but here's what we need to understand. In Romans, it talks about the fact that the earth itself is in travail. That's that same word, labor. And it's longing or waiting for a specific thing. And what it says in Romans that it's waiting for is the earth is waiting for the manifestation of the children of God. So Jesus is saying these travail or labor pains of the earth are going to get greater in frequency and intensity because the earth is getting ready to deliver something. Something's getting ready to be delivered. It's not the end. It's just the beginning of sorrows. Matter of fact, verse 9, Jesus goes on and he says, to who, again, very important, who is he talking to? This is not the crowds. This is not a message to the multitudes. This is to his disciples only who came to him privately. Then they will deliver you up, who? Christians, true believers, they will deliver you up to tribulation. They'll kill you. Look at this phrase. You will be Hated by all nations. Why? For my name's sake. Because you refuse to let go of the name of Jesus, because you refuse to walk away from the principles of my word, tribulation is coming, outright persecution is coming. You're going to be killed. You're going to be delivered up. The whole world's going to hate you. Do you ever watch the news or a movie or even a comedy? And wonder why the world hates Christians so bad. Why you have to be so careful what you say about Islam. You have to be so careful what you say about any other idea or thought. But it seems to be open season on Christians. You can say whatever you want about Christians. If there's going to be a wacko fanatic in a movie, seven times out of ten, it's going to be a Christian. Now we know in real life, those percentages aren't anywhere close to accurate. But if you looked at the media, you would think that everything that goes on crazy in the world is done by a Christian. And that's just not the case. But it seems like the world hates us. And then verse 10, now he's talking about the church. Many will be offended. Now look at this. They will betray one another. We're talking about people in the church are going to start, because of this 
persecution and trouble and tribulation. They're going to start turning on one another, betraying one another, even hating one another. And then many, not a few, many false prophets will rise up and deceive me. Second time he's talked about deception when he's talking about the end. Well, I wonder what these false prophets are going to say. In context, there's tribulation, there's persecution. If you really want to follow Jesus, you're not popular. Well, now all of a sudden these false prophets are coming up and they're saying something. Well, who are they saying it to? The church. Well, what's going on in the context of the church? Well, there's persecution and people hate Christians because of their stand for God and their love for Jesus. So I wonder what a false prophet would say to that. I don't know, but my guess is, oh, you don't really have to do that. (laughs) This whole thing about being so radical, (laughs) you don't really have to do that. I mean, the world just wants you, you just need to be normal. You just need to fit right in. You just need to be a part of what's going on. This whole thing, these people are crazy. You don't have to be that radical. Can I ask you something? When in the Bible do you see Jesus saying, hey, you don't have to be that radical? Where do you ever see one of the apostles of Jesus ever saying, it's okay to just give half of what you got. You don't have to give it all. That's not a biblical concept anywhere. You can't find it. These men of God died for what they believed. They were so different from the world. And the Bible says that because lawlessness would abound, chaos, anarchy, the love of many will grow cold. Now, he's talking about church people now. They're going to grow cold in their love for God. They're not going to be hot in their passion for God anymore. What does he say to those who truly love the Lord and are going through all this? That's you and me, I hope. He who endures to the end shall be saved. And then verse 14 as we close for today. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a testimony or witness to all nations and then the end will come. Now I know there are a lot of Christians and I've said this before but I want to say it again. I know there are a lot of Christians who think well that's already happened. I mean, we've got satellite television. The gospel's being beamed all over the world. Guys, please don't ever say that to somebody who knows anything about the world. Because in the places where they have not heard, and by the way, there are many people groups. That word world means people groups. Not just countries, but people groups. And there are many people groups who have never heard the gospel in their own language for the first time yet. Not once. Do you know why? Because they're very remote, extremely difficult to get to. It requires great risk and extreme danger to go there. And in many cases, you would risk your life to get there if you were a Christian. Plus the fact you have to go through the excruciating, difficult process of learning or even forming a language that they could understand when you get there with the gospel. They're not the standard missionary route maps where we go to. Nothing against where we go. But most of the places that we go, though they may still need the gospel, they've already heard the gospel. I'm talking about places that haven't heard it yet. If you want to know more about that, get on the Internet and look at Wycliffe Bible Translators. You don't have to take my word for it. But what did I say? Well, then, Brother Lynn, you're saying we're nowhere near the rapture church. No, I didn't say that at all. I said Jesus was answering three questions, not one. 
The first question was, when will these things be? What? The destruction of the temple and the desolation of Israel. Well, that already happened. It happened in A.D. 70. So Israel as a nation is waiting for the end times prophetic fulfillment of the return of God's attention to them. That doesn't mean God doesn't love them or care about them now. It just means there's going to be another national focus on them, but that's going to come after the church age. Right now we're in the church age. So he answered that question. That's question number one. Question number two is, what will be the sign of your coming? Well, he just gave us a list. All these things, all these cataclysmic things that we think are the signs of the end are actually the signs of what we would call the rapture of the church. And he said, when you see these things, it's not the end yet. It's just the beginning of stars. Labor has begun. So when you see them start to get more intense and more frequent, then know something's up. And especially when you see false prophets and false Christ and deceivers all out there. Be very, very careful. We're very close. So he answered that question. That's the sign of his coming. But what's the sign of the end of the world, the end of the age, the church age? This gospel will be preached in all the world as a witness to all nations. And then, see, Jesus very specifically answered those questions. You don't have to, and nothing wrong with reading books. This book that I read that out of is a book I'm reading. So there's nothing wrong with reading books. There's nothing wrong with watching uh, teachers on TV. I, I, I applaud that. I respect many of them. You can learn from it. You can be encouraged by it. But my point is, you don't have to go any further than Matthew chapter 24 to find the answer to those questions. Now, we're not anywhere near finished yet. We just have to find a stopping point for this morning. And I think that's a good one. Because let me ask you this. Who has been given the charge of preaching the gospel into all the world? You and me. The church. Not just pastors and missionaries and evangelists, but every child of God. We are the salt of the earth. We are the light of the world. We are supposed to be proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, both with our lives and with our words, and we are supposed to be giving where we can and praying for those who are going to places that we can't to possibly proclaim the gospel for the very first time and finishing this great commission. That's why I say, guys, we don't have time to be afraid. We don't have time to get confused. We don't have time to worry about whatever is being forecast because if they're right, then it will happen. By the way, they better be glad we're not in the Old Testament because if we're here in November in the Old Testament, they stone false prophets to death. <laughs> I predict that if they're not right, they'll write a new book <laughs> and everybody will go out and buy that. That's my prediction. I guarantee you I'm right. Now, I don't think we should stone them to death, but I do think as Christians we might should be aware that if somebody said this was going to happen at this date and it didn't, that maybe the next time, if it doesn't happen, that I'm aware of that. Well, what am I supposed to do? The Bible says we should hasten unto the coming of the Lord. I'm not saying sit back as if it's never going to happen. No. The Bible actually tells me to hasten. Do you know what hasten means? If I told you, hey, hasten up, what am I telling you to do? Hurry up. Speed it up. Run. How do I hasten into the coming of the Lord? Well, according to what we just read from the words of Jesus, he said the one thing that's guaranteed to bring the end is the gospel of the kingdom being preached in all the world. 
I've got a mission as a Christian, not as a pastor. I've got a mission, and that's to be the light of Jesus to my world and the salt of the earth wherever I'm at. Nothing ever changes that mission. If the ministers that are saying the end's coming and all of these disasters are going to take place and everything's going to change so drastically in September, October, if they're right, doesn't change my mission a bit. Matter of fact, it just makes it that much more pertinent, that much more urgent. If they're wrong, then I'm really going to need to be about that business because now the world's starting to hear about these things and they're just going to be that much more in the camp of those who scoff and say, where's the promise of his coming? So either way, my mission doesn't change. And your mission doesn't change. This gospel is what we're about. I'm not about comets and asteroids and eclipses and, and stock market crashes and, and whatever else. I may have to deal with the after effects of those things just like anybody else that's still living. But that's not what I'm about. I'm about this gospel being preached in all the world with signs, real signs, and real wonders following. Preaching this, he said, this gospel, not some other one, this gospel of the kingdom. That means the rule and reign of Jesus on earth today. This gospel will be preached in all the world. That means the gospel with power preached in all the world. Now, that's what my call is. That's my mission. I can't afford to let it ever be anything but that. And what's the best thing I can do to be ready for that? Stay in the presence of Jesus as much as I possibly can. I can guarantee you one thing, folks. By the way, did I say this? Let me say it now if I didn't. I meant to. I'm not an end-time scholar. I've studied it, but I don't study it near as much as these other folks do. I don't even claim to be a world-renowned theologian. A theologian is someone who studies God. I study him, but I don't claim to be a world-renowned theologian either. And I could be wrong about whether September 15th or September 23rd or any of those other dates. I could be wrong about that. But I'll tell you one thing I'm absolutely guaranteed not to be wrong about. I'm 100% right about what Jesus said because I didn't say it. Jesus said it, and he's never wrong. He's never wrong. So my encouragement to you, meaning no disrespect to anything that's said, but knowing you, you would have to live under a rock to not know what's out there as a pastor especially, knowing what's being said as a pastor over this flock, I want to challenge you today. I want to encourage you today. Just follow Jesus. And more than anything else, learn to know the voice of your king. Because Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice, and the voice of another they will not follow. You want to be sure that you can spot a deceiver? Spend time with Jesus so that you know the real article. The better you know him, the less likely you are to be deceived. Spend time with Jesus. Know this book. Don't take somebody else's interpretation of the book. That's fine. But go to the book itself and study it. Read it verse by verse, word by word, line by line. 
and find out what God actually says and then go out into the world after you've been in the presence of Jesus and proclaim this gospel of Jesus Christ with your life and with your words everywhere you go. And you know what? No matter what happens, we're going to be all right. We're either going to be here when we hear the trumpet and we're going to be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. That would be great. Or we're going to go to heaven the old-fashioned way. We're going to breathe our last breath and be ushered into the presence of the king. And if that's the case, we'll come back riding on white horses with Jesus when he comes. You know what? That sounds kind of great too. Either way, it sounds pretty great to me. One of those destinies, I promise you, one of those destinies is mine. I just don't know which one yet because I don't know how long I'm going to be here. And that's the only thing left up for discussion. Not where I'm going or what I'm doing or what I'm supposed to do while I'm here. None of those things are even up for discussion. They're not questions. The Bible makes clear what I'm supposed to do while I'm here. makes clear where I'm going. The only question left for discussion is, how am I getting there? And either way is good. Are you saying death is good? Yeah. Never heard anybody say that before. Well, you should have. Because death is the last enemy. Paul said, O death, where is your victory, O grave? Where is your sting? Psalmist said, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. The writer of Ecclesiastes says, I'd learn more from going to a funeral than a birth. And encourage people to do more of the going to a funeral than a birth. (laughs) If I live long enough that the rapture is not my ticket out of here, then you know what is? Death. And as a Christian, I'm not supposed to be afraid of it. I'm not looking to jump on the train tomorrow. But I'm not supposed to be afraid of it either. Either way... I know what my destination is. So all I really have to be concerned about is my mission. The only question you've got to answer right now is what's my mission? Well, I don't know specifics for you because everybody has a specific twist and turn that God will tell you about. But I promise you one thing. If you're a Christian, your mission is the same as every other Christian's on the planet, and that's to proclaim this gospel of the kingdom until Jesus comes. That's your mission. Stay focused on that. Don't worry about everything else. And you know what? (laughs) You'll be a whole lot happier. And you might even see some people saved before whatever happens, happens on the earth. Amen? We're going to get more into this tonight. I hope you'll come back. I want you to bow your heads with me, and we're going to pray. Father, in the name of Jesus today, we thank you for time in your presence and time in your word. God, as we look at things that are for sure to take place. Things that are already happening are going to intensify, become more frequent. Things that are yet to happen. Lord, you told your disciples when you were going away, you said, let not your heart be troubled. Don't be afraid. You believe in God, believe also in me. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I'll surely come again and receive you unto myself so that where I am, there you may be also. And then you said, this is the way to get there. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. 
No man comes to the Father. Nobody gets to heaven except they come through me. So, Lord, in this room today, for anybody in this place that has never accepted you, Jesus, as their Savior and Lord, there aren't a thousand ways or ten ways or even two to get to heaven. There's only one. And that's through the blood of Jesus Christ and your finished work at the cross to wash our sins away. Nothing else will ever satisfy the just judgment of God against us except the blood of Jesus Christ shed for us. So, Father God, I pray for all those in this room who need to know you, need to return to you and get right with you today. Or, Lord, for Christians in this place who are walking with you that have been troubled and anxious and confused and stressed out. Lord God, you didn't call us to live that way. You gave us a mission. You told us to have joy. You said, take rest in me. If you're weary and heavy laden, come to me and I'll give you rest, not stress. Father God, I pray that we would do that today, that we would run to your arms, live in your presence, and allow you to transform our lives today. In Jesus' name, bring hope in this place and bring a sense of urgency about our mission. In Jesus' name, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed today, if you're in this place and you have never given your heart to Jesus, you don't know him at all, You've heard about Him. You may have been in church all your life. But you've never truly given control of your heart to Jesus. That's where it all begins. There's only one way to heaven, and He's the way. Only one name given under the heavens by which we must be saved, the Bible says, and that is the name of Jesus alone. If you've never given your heart to Jesus, that's where it all begins. I guarantee you, no matter what happens, you won't be ready unless you know Jesus. It could happen today. But whenever it comes, you want to be ready, and Jesus is the only way. If you've never given your heart to Jesus, He loves you so much, and He's ready to receive you and forgive you. If you've given your heart to Jesus at one time, but you're not walking with Him now, the Bible says that's the sign of the end. The love of many will grow cold. We're going to talk more about that tonight. And if you've grown cold in your love for God, and you're not walking with Him like you did at one time, you can come home. Walk right back into the presence of God today, and that's what I encourage you to do. Be ready. If you don't know Jesus or you're not walking with Him the way you need to and you know that and you're ready to change that, would you lift your hand anywhere in this room tonight? If that's you, would you lift your hand? I want to pray for you before we pray for anybody else. Put your hand up, put it right back down. Anybody else, you know God's speaking to you. Either I'm not living for Jesus at all, never have, Or I have at one time, but I've run away from Him. I'm not walking with Him now, and I I want that to change. I know it can. I'm ready right now today. Would you lift your hand in this room if you haven't already? Okay, secondly, you're a Christian. You love God. You're trying your best to follow God. But if you're honest with yourself, you are so stressed out. You, You spend most of your life running in circles. You don't know what's coming next. Every time there's a news report, every time something happens, every time a new teaching comes out, instead of looking with anticipation that the Lord's returning, there's actually a little bit of fear and confusion that rises up in your heart if you're being honest with yourself. I challenge you today, that's not what God intended. Whether these teachers and preachers are right or wrong, that's not the intended reaction that God wanted you to have. He wants you to walk in peace. He wants you to have an urgency about spreading the gospel, but yet be in peace. It's all good. God's got this thing under control. And let me tell you something. He never stops loving you. If you've been battling with confusion and stress and turmoil and anxiety and fear because of the shape the world's in or the news reports that you're hearing or even some teaching that you're hearing, I challenge you today. The Bible says that God didn't give you a spirit of fear. 
Cause fear of spirit and says, He didn't give it to you, but He gave you power and love and a sound mind. The Bible also says, God is not the author of confusion. So where there's confusion, God says, I'm not there. That didn't come from me. So if there's confusion, if there's stress, anxiety, and fear, God wants to set you free from that so that you can just be focused on loving Him, knowing Him, and sharing this gospel wherever you go. Stay on mission. It's going to be all right. I didn't say it's going to be easy. I just said it's going to be all right. God's going to take care of you. You don't have to be afraid. If you've been battling with fear and anxiety and stress and confusion because of what's going on, God sent this word, I believe, for you today to give you some freedom so that you can step out and just be faithful and actually be anxious and ready, anxious in a good sense, ready for Him to return. If that's you, would you lift your hand in this room? You've been battling with fear, stress, anxiety, confusion, turmoil. It's been running all over in you, every new news report, every new teaching that comes out. And you just want to be free from that so you can be focused on your mission. Anybody else, just real quick, you know God's speaking to you about that. You put your hand up, you put it right back down. I just want to pray for you before we go. All right, let's stand in this room. We're going to pray together. If you raise your hand during the first part of that, I'm going to have everybody help you out today. We're going to pray a prayer in agreement together. We're going to repeat with one another. Saying words will not save you or make you right with God. But if you agree with the words you're about to speak and you mean it with all your heart, even though somebody else is supplying those words, if you make them your own, then you will be forgiven and you will be free. And I challenge you to do that with me. I want everybody to help out and just say this prayer. It won't hurt any of us. Let's pray together. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you that you were willing to give everything you had, your most precious gift, so that I could be forgiven and I could be free. I believe that Jesus Christ lived a sinless life, died and suffered in my place, took my sins upon himself, rose again on the third day, and is alive forevermore. I believe that I can be forgiven and set free through the blood of Jesus Christ. I ask you now to forgive my sins, to cleanse me from unrighteousness, fill me with the Holy Spirit, and make me your own. Jesus, I'm coming home. And I thank you for freedom and forgiveness in Jesus' name, amen. Now, God, I bless everybody in this room, every Christian in this house that's been battling with fear and stress and turmoil and confusion and anxiety about all the things that are going on or being said. Lord, you're not the author of confusion. You don't send stress. You send rest. And, Lord, you didn't give us a spirit of fear. So, Father, whether those things are right or wrong, your intent was not that people be fearful and not that people be confused and not that they be stressed but that we be urgent and that we be on mission. So, Father, I thank you that fear is cast down in Jesus' name. Confusion is cast down in Jesus' name. Stress and anxiety is cast down in Jesus' name. For we cast all of our cares, our anxieties upon you, Lord, because you care for us. So we thank you, God, for freedom, for peace. I thank you for the anointing to share this gospel wherever we go. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We love you. 
God bless you. If you need prayer for anything, we'd love to pray for you. If you prayed that prayer to give your heart to Jesus for the very first time, I hope you'll talk to me before you leave today. If not, be blessed. Don't forget Praise Team 3.30 this afternoon. We'll see you back here. Everybody else, 6 o'clock. I hope you'll be back for the second part of this message.